Welcome to the Nat and Sarah Show, where we aim to touch, move, and inspire you every single week. Really? We're really going to introduce our own show? Maybe we should leave it to the pro. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. One second, ladies. Here we go. Sarah Maxwell and Natalie Cook are experts in visualization and deliberate use of the law of attraction. As dynamic world athletes representing Canada and Australia in beach volleyball, they honed in on achievement at the highest level. Winning an Olympic gold medal on her home beach of Bondi is a pinnacle example. Their powerful techniques transmute the spiritual to the tangible, allowing thousands of their community members to bring their vision boards to life. Recently, they've taken their expertise on the road as the full-time family, where they inspire, coach, and lead people to create their unique, deliberate family life using a simplified three-step process. Welcome to the Nat and Sarah Show. Join us for twice-weekly episodes. Each week, Nat and Sarah will teach us how to deliberately create results in all areas of life using their unique three-step process. Not only that, they'll also sit down with some of their favorite high achievers who have manifested what most merely dream about. Are you a member of the community? Go to bit.ly slash the Nat and Sarah show to download your three-step journal to follow along with each workshop style teaching episode and get ready to take action on your inspirations. Today, we continue the conversation with property entrepreneur and wellness advocate, Marie Doyle. Proud New Zealander and mother to three growing girls, she's constantly juggling core family values, powerful businesswoman, and developing herself as much as she is property. This extroverted introvert, tight rope walks, winning awards for development projects, sponsoring women in property, helping people in her online health platform, and being the ambassador for Queensland Ballet. It's a mixed bag for sure that kind of describes how this magnetic woman wisps through life without forgetting to point her toes. But don't let this dissuade you from seeing that she is all heart. It's not about perfection with her, though it can seem that way from the outside, but rather squeezing every last drop out of life. She plays hard, she mothers hard, she rests and restores with consciousness. Wouldn't you love to be able to do all that in one lifetime? Marie, super pumped to be talking to you today. Those of, they can't see you, but she is looking amazing <laughs> in her office in Sydney, Australia. And just thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. Oh, thank you, Sarah. And wow, what an intro. I don't think I've ever had such an incredible intro before. That's amazing. Love if somebody it. Somebody gets so the much. point your toes moment, then they are winning the podcast <laughs> listening. So love it. I it was clever. Um, amazing. We've known each other for quite some time. However, I have always been curious about young, the young gun Marie. So, <laughs> did you have big dreams for your life? Like, like, where did you learn this whole set goals and actually action them? Where yeah. did it come from? Yeah. Look, I mean. Sarah, I mean, we have, we've known each other a long time now. And when I put my finger on it, I think it's almost close to 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, when I do think back to um, where it all started, I mean, I, I grew up in New Zealand and my family were um, 
very diligent workers. So my dad was in business and it was him and my mum who actually used to get us to write our goals down from a super early age. So he was a massive fan of working in corporate and going to a lot of like the Zig Ziglar seminars and things like that. So we were quite lucky to not really have a full introduction to that quite early, but definitely the process of writing down your goals. And they were such small things. I remember being at mum's house recently and she sort of pulled out one of the old ones that I did, which was so cute that she'd even kept it. Um, And it was really like things like open up a bank account, like small measurable goals that they used to get us to write down. So, I mean, that's when it sort of first really started. Um, And in terms of dreams that I had for my life, I mean, to be honest, I wanted to be a ballerina, which is like crazy. And I didn't, I did ballet for a very long time and then, I grew up and realized that it wasn't necessarily for me and I found a lot of other interests that interested me more. Um, but, yeah, definitely when I was younger I had, I had big dreams but um, they were more around learning. I learned the value of business quite early on. So to me it was more about having those dreams of making money or, you know, I'd go to work with my dad and I'd get paid $50 for stamping literature in the office that day or something like that. So I really learned that value quite early on I realized that yes I did have big dreams and I did want to achieve lots of different things in my life but I wasn't quite sure what it was at that time Hmm. I love that's really cool to hear about your parents and you know for those of us who are having our children introduced to these ideas Mm -hmm. early it's encouraging Mm -hmm. to hear how it all turns out so do you do some of this with your girls yes yes so three daughters uh, myself and Ben have so eight, nine and 11. And we do, we write our goals every year together. And they're so funny. Like I have a crazy redhead and some of the goals she writes are just out there, um, usually revolving around an iPhone or something like that. But, um, you know, like it is, it is so important to have that value of just something more than yourself um, and something more than what you're currently doing. So for them, it's, it's not really a process of having a financial goal or any particular goal like that in, in speci- specifically. Mm-hmm. It's more around the idea of putting something out there and then having to work towards it. So that's kind of the concept that we have and we like to reset our goals every year. And it's, it's not a super long process. You know, we just sit down with the girls um, and we just, you know, on a Sunday afternoon or something and we'll just put on some music and I'll talk about it and I'll what are some things that you want to do this year? Where would you like to go? What are some things you'd like to experience? And it's really that simple. Yeah. Literally it. And isn't that all it is really? I mean, I think kids have this amazing way of not being blocked when it comes to what they want. Everything is possible. And so Mm. when you think of your future, like visions that you have for your life, do you think that you can have anything in life? Is that like, when you hear that, do you think I have whatever yes. I want. <laughs> you know I'm a yes girl. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that comes from just having a, a level of certainty around that. So a level of certainty of just knowing that I can have anything that I want in my life and I can quite easily say that hand on heart because, um, you know, I my mindset is everything. That is my determining factor. Being able to say, yes, I can have everything is the reason that I will have everything. And, you know, you know, that is, that is to me being able to say yes and having that level of certainty around it, it wouldn't matter what goals I put in front of myself. Would I go after 
all of the goals that I wanted in order to have everything I wanted in my life? Absolutely I would. So, you know, for me, do I believe I can have everything I want in life? 100%. So what's your relationship with not having? So you said this thing about I wanted to be a ballerina and something hit me. I was like, she kind of dances through life. Like she's a ballerina. (laughs) And do you, what's your relationship to things that don't occur? Because you can have everything in life. You have so much. What do you, how do you see that? The things that haven't occurred yet. Absolutely. And look, I'm very, one of the things that I learned very early on is to be detached from the outcome. So things that don't necessarily fall into place because, you know, um, you know, there's a lot of people that have significant tragedies in their lives and that is a defining moment for them and really drives them forward into, you know, making changes in their lives or whatever. I've had a fairly amazing life where my life has been filled with joy where I live from joy a lot of the time Um, and I haven't had big tragedies in my life yes I've had things that have happened that have not been ideal or have not been amazing however they haven't been things that have defined my life so things that um, when I'm detached from the outcome of going you know what it's it's a goal but if I don't get it Am I really, am I really going to be that disappointed? Am I going to hold on to that outcome or am I just going to make a new goal and then just move forward it? Okay, cool. Good to know. And I hear some of the personal growth um, in you, you know, when you're speaking. And so I know you're a really huge advocate actually. So Mm -hmm. what was your, your first exposure to living this way? Was it what your dad was listening to, like you said, or was there something that you can say, Hey, that change the course of my life learning oh, there was a, there was a hundred percent a time in my life where um i was 19 and i did my first firewalk seminar okay and it was literally um the first exposure as a young adult so not a child as a young adult that had had any exposure to that had had exposure to a real intense personal development workshop where I was like, wow, this is making sense. Like the penny dropped and there were things that were, you know, talked about in that, in that weekend event that I went to, which was like, oh, this is so me. And you know, when you just get that feeling in your body and the energy starts going and you're on the edge of your seat and you just want to hear more and you want to learn more and you get just very excited about things that was my first experience of that. And, of course, then there was a firewalk at the end of it, which, of course, I was like, wow, this is absolutely unbelievable. I can't believe I just did this. Um, and that really was my first exposure to it. And it really did set up the course for everything else that I did in my life. And I guess the biggest things that I came away from, from that was about just creating consistently new habits in your life and your and monitoring your thoughts and if that is the one thing that I believe that I've done truly throughout my whole life as it as an adult I'm now nearly 40 um you know that's that's a long distance to be doing that um I truly believe that that is what it is that that's what that exposure gave me uh early on was to be consistent with my thoughts this is really cool. I mean, you're giving not only the moment, but also the things mm. that results are, are there because of consistent small mm. habits, you know, like small things done. 
well yeah. every day. And it's, it's cool to speak to someone who's almost 40 because you get to see some of the fruits of that labor. And I'm thinking yeah. about somebody that we both know in our lives who's, re- who's really young. You remind me of her and thinking, hey, as she's developing these consistent habits, like, look what's going to happen for her. So that, that was really exciting. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing about that, I think, Sarah, is that in some ways I feel like that is easier for people now because there's so much more information. There's so much more ability to be able to, you know, have this in your life and be able to take action towards it. Whereas if I look at my journey, I go, I've had to be having consistent thoughts for the last 20 years. And man, that is, a, you know, that is a lot more dedication to, you know, something which is happening for younger people relatively quickly. And, you know, there's so many other platforms and things out there to help people launch to be able to get to where they want to be in life now than there was back then. So in some ways, we've been doing it for a lot longer, but more consistently. Yeah. And I will say, it doesn't matter how many times people know the Mm -hmm. discipline. It's not, Yeah, it's like, I've had moments in my life, I know things, meaning I know about them, but Mm. if I'm not actually um, disciplined in the distinctions, then I can be very average, you know? And so I've, it it doesn't even matter what you know, it's what you actually do every day. And so um, that's, that's the thing that I really help people hear Mm. in you is like, you're the product of that discipline of that commitment to having certain thoughts. And I want to pivot slightly because, Mm. because I'm curious how someone who's been trained in that way, when you're having your three girls, which is mind blowing to me, I'm not going to lie. I have one. Mind blowing to me. Yeah. I'm going to high school next year. I'm mind blown. (laughs) As Matt would say, don't you know what causes that? But got it. She kept going back. Got that. So what kind of inner questions go on for you as a mom when you, you know, you've got mom, powerful Mm. businesswoman, and not feeling like you have to sacrifice one for the other. Oh man. Like, um, when I was pregnant with the girls, I was like, especially, um, my first daughter, Lily, I was like, I was the super spiritual connected mom, you know, I was going to have the baby naturally and everything was going to happen. It was all going to be perfect. Well, that all went out the window, epidurals, everything else. Um, and to me, I kind of, I actually spiraled when I had, um, when I had my first daughter. So I actually, what happened was. I'd been so trained in all of this for so long and just, you know, manifesting and, you know, tapping into everything that I knew that when I had a baby, I realized that the universe wasn't going to get up and change the nappy in the middle of the night. The universe wasn't going to make a bottle to feed my daughter. The universe wasn't going to take her to preschool. Didn't matter how tired you were. The universe wasn't going to do the physical things that you needed to do as a mother. So as a result, I became almost disconnected, like completely unplugged from a lot of the stuff that I knew. And I, I kind of lost myself for a little while there. And it's funny because it's actually a period of time and I had three under three, so really quickly as well. And I, and I just say to people, I say, it was just a whirlwind. And I actually look back on photos and I go, who was that person? Like... I don't even recognize who that person was because I was so disconnected from who I was because I was, I was, you know, nurturing and growing these little children. Um, but it became a very physical experience for me. And, and out of that, I, I, I lost that disc. I disconnected from what I knew. Um, and it wasn't until 
um, you know, a few years later that I was able to plug back in and realize, okay, I can now do both. Um, but, you know, I, I can totally see that there would be so many parents out there that, you know, if you've had exposure to this and then you have a child and that physicality of it, of having to do all those things, it, it does, it becomes something so much bigger than yourself. And so that was crazy. Saying that. Okay. Because some people are in the trenches or in the storm. Yeah. And, and it's really great for people not to compare mm. like their storm mm -hmm. to your sunny day. And so I'm glad because we're actually going to be talking some, to some other mom, moms who are just in the storm. And I like yeah. that too, because there's something to be said about that moment. So I, I, I want to know about your marriage. What happens in your marriage when you're a bit of a zombie, like you're kind of out of it? What goes on oh, there? Man. <laughs> I, always, I always say like Ben and I, um, we, are, we have a really incredible relationship in terms of, um, at, in terms of partnership. And we obviously, we work together as well, but we also raise the kids. But it's funny because the only two things we ever fight about are the kids and what's happening at the office. Like we, we don't fight about anything else. It's like, but it's not fighting about the kids. It's about fighting about how we raise the kids, like our differing ideas on how we raise our, how we raise the children. Mm. Um, and so, um, so, I mean, yeah, you know, working with him, I sit next to him in the office. So, but we have very defined roles and what I think we've learned to do very well is to just decompartmentalize our life and go, you know what? When we're at the office, we're at the office. When we're at date night, we're at date night. Date night. When we're with our friends, we're with our friends. When we're with our kids, we're 100% with our kids. Um, that is one of the things that we have learned to do very well. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, yes, there's turmoil and, yes, there's crazy stuff and, yes, there's dramas in the morning getting ready for school and, you know, yes, that can throw off your day and, you know, can spiral. But it's about it's, it's less about that and it's about what are you doing consistently to get back, back on track and back into your lane. So for us, um, we're a massive support for each other. We're always calling each other on things. We've got a couple of safe words. If you, I see him spiralling out of control with his emotions or if I'm, out, or if I'm out of check, talking back too much, you know, we just, we just kind of call each other on our stuff um, okay. because we do in a partnership. And in that, like, stormy part, like maybe you don't even remember it, maybe it's a bit of a blur, but is it like... Um, the relationship's kind of like on hold because you're just in the do phase of your kids or were there some big conversations being had at that time? Do you know what? I think um, I've never, I never get to the point in my relationship where I'm like, if this doesn't happen, it's over. Like I, my heart and I've had some really like toxic relationships throughout my life. Um, but I am in such a different place with my relationship with Ben that it really is about, um, it's never, that's not an out, right? It's not an out. Everything is, and you and I talk about this um, before, everything is workoutable, you know, mm -hmm. like it's imperfect perfectness. Um, you know, there's always a way out of it. And I think my default is never to go relationship on hold. That's never my default in a relationship. My default is always like, usually close your mouth before you say something stupid. Um, but my default is never the worst possible scenario. It's all over. That's it. We're done. That is never my default. My default is always to just pause, work out, okay, what's happening in this moment? What do we need to do? 
And then usually what I like to call high noon, don't approach things at high noon, don't try and resolve a situation when there's just everything's gone down. Like wait, wait until it's not high noon and then have the conversation because you know what, it's, it becomes a lesson or a teachable moment or something in that, in that time once you get out of that. But trying to resolve stuff or go into a default is just, just not, something that, not something that we like to do. And very rarely do we end up in big, crazy fights. In fact, I don't even think we've had one for a number of years. Okay. Takeaway from the, from the conversation. High noon. Great. <laughs> Because you just made me see the connection between a kid's tantrum, you know, th- this kind mm. of idea, there's no value in having a teachable moment while that's occurring. Yep. Relationships, same thing. Yeah. Why, why would we try to learn? It's like having a giant toddler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Husband's going to love this moment. Don't kill me. I wasn't actually, I have the tantrums too. Just saying. Um, just saying. Oh my gosh. Great. Sorry. So that I just, yeah, we tangent there, but um, I think it's important because a lot of relationships are going through a lot in that Mm. time as well. And so from a relationship that I see as very uplifting and you and Ben um, have really come out of any storm that, that there might've been. So I just wanted to know how it went when things were going on with the kids. So female entrepreneur, you wear a hard hat and heels on building sites. I've seen the photos. It's a classic. So how do you combine feminine and masculine energies in what you do? Yeah, look, I think people automatically perceive the construction industry as being a masculine space. You know, people automatically go, oh, she's a feminine in a masculine space. Whereas, I don't know, I've got a, I've got a bit of a different approach to it is that um, – you know, a lot of what we do in development particularly is actually quite feminine. Like, I mean, we're creating all the time, we're innovating, you know, we're, we're connecting with people to make sales. You know, a lot of those things are actually quite feminine when you look at them um, from that, that perspective. You know, the things to do with um, the masculine energies, which are things like perhaps, you know, um, finance or some of the more legal type things like that has more of a masculine energy to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm heavily involved in both sides of it. Uh, and being a female in property, I think it's important to stay connected with who you are in that and to not change yourself in that space. So one of the things that I regularly have conversations with other women that work in this industry, because it is so important to realise that, you can be soft and also strong. You can, be, you can be both in this industry. And it's important to bring that to boardroom meetings and, you know, worksite inspections and all those different things. It's important to bring both those sides of things because it brings out the best in so many other parts of what we're doing in building and development. Um, and, you know, I, I like to call myself a conscious developer. And when I say that, it's not, it's not an ego thing. What it is is it's a... It's about being conscious about what we're doing on a daily basis with, you know, communities and people and other things that we're creating for people because the creativity side of of property is what I love. Like I love that, that we can literally create something out of nothing, Mm -hmm. which is going to stand the test of time, which is going to be here for years Mm -hmm. to come for other people to enjoy. It's like that is the part I love about it so much. So, you know, there is... There is definitely a feminine, masculine uh, play within what we do, 100%. 
for for a lot of women, some some women struggle with that. I'm just trying to embrace it, I guess, as much as I can, and trying to put my spin on it. Particularly, particularly in development, there's a real opportunity to be able to do that. I, I love that, and you you say something about property, you know, that there's like a long lasting, like it'll be around mm-hmm. for years, you know. And yeah. I, I love how you take that on and you feel a responsibility, like a consciousness mm. towards doing that. I, I thought that was really interesting because I'm not in property. So I never, I had not thought of mm. it that way. Yeah. Um, which, you know, it reminds me a little bit of parenting. There's something, <laughs> there's a legacy being left for years to come. <laughs> All mothers can just laugh at that one. Um, and it's going to come back to haunt us. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. But, but you know, <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. But, but all that to say that um, bringing both energies and, and just bringing up that topic is mm. beautiful because you wrote a powerful piece on social media for International Women's Day. And it kind of sparked this whole desire for me to want to have this conversation because you juxtaposed what people might assume about you versus what was actually occurring inside of you. Mm. And I love how you gave a voice to like the dichotomies, you know, the two sides that women face, it's probably more than two, you know, it's the eight sides that women face face every day. So you said two things. So, you know, those of you listening haven't read the post yet, but um, perhaps if you go and want to learn more about Marie, you'll be able to see it there. But what she did was she kept saying, she used this common language where she said, don't mistake my this for my that. So I want to expand on two of those that you said, because I think it's interesting. So you said, don't mistake or don't mistake in my ambition for neglect. Cause she said, I'm showing my daughters that they can achieve everything they want in life if they apply themselves consistently. So I want to ask you a little bit about that because I think that this is something that a lot of mothers and business face. So I've, you know, I'm speaking to a mom um, for the podcast very soon about mom mm. guilt. Yeah. Do you have any? And how do, how do you deal with that, your ambition versus perhaps what people perceive or might do yeah. as neglect? Oh, yeah, 100%. And look, I think when I wrote that, um, it, was, it was really playing on my mind because I was feeling at the time particularly judged okay. in social media. I was feeling particularly judged and not just by people that didn't know me but by people who did know me. Hmm. And to me, I was like, you know what? there's a lot of people that don't know your full story. You know, there's a lot of people that make preconceived ideas up in their head about you. Um, And I was feeling like I must not be the only one who is feeling this way. And I'm sure there's plenty of women that feel this way. And, you know, um, that particular, that particular point was, you know, a lot of the time I will, you know, be strolling through the schoolyard in the morning, dropping my kids, you know, high heels, coats, dressed up, um, and then on my way to work. Mm-hmm. Whereas there's a lot of mums that don't. A lot of other mums, they, they don't have, you know, they might not need to do that or they might not want to or they just might not be in that space for doing that. And I see those mums and I go, yep, cool. Everybody's doing the best they can. Everybody's doing whatever they're doing. It's all good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I get judged because I'm dressed up. I'm not in my active wear. I'm the one that's getting judged. And it's like, you know what? I love what I do. Super passionate about what I do. My kids are inspired by what I do. They come to my office. They love what I do. They're like, mom, you're amazing what you do. I'm like, great. Um, but not everybody sees that. 
people, people, and I and I find it hard that people still are making those preconceived judgments and ideas about it. Still, um, you know, because turning up and doing a, um, you know, doing a profession or committing yourself to a career or whatever it is that you do can take on so many different forms, right? It can take on so many different forms. But um, as soon as you get into a certain look and feel, it's like this, you know, this element of, well, she's better than us. And it's like, but I'm not better than you. This is just what I'm doing. Um, but there, and the reason, like I said, the reason I wrote this is that there was this, there was this judgment around it at the time. And I thought, you know what, I'm sure I'm not the only one that feels this way. And so I wrote about it. Um, and I don't, and look, my children, I'm a better mother when I come home and I haven't spent all day with them for me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a better mother when I can come home and I get to spend my quality time with my kids who are incredible. Uh, and we get to spend that time together and I'm a better person because I know I'm a better person when I'm not around them 24 seven. Not all mothers can say that they are, but I I know I'm a better person when I'm not around them 24 seven because I love what I do and I draw inspiration and and other things from other parts of my life that I can go back and be a better mum in that time that I'm with them. Absolutely. And then you, you, it's probably on the same line. I'm so glad you, you described the, the energy with which you were, feeling to write this because you said, don't mistake in my beauty for being self-absorbed. And I, I love this because it's sort of, um, yeah, you own it. And you said, my inner beauty shines brighter than my outer. I love the way I look. I see beauty in so much. Mm. Can you bring a little bit more? Tell me a little bit more about that. How have you cultivated owning your own beauty and seeing beauty all around you? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think I think beauty is, beauty is one of those things that is um, you need confidence to pull off beauty, 100%. You know, beauty, beauty is confidence. To, when I think about beauty, I just think anybody who exudes that confidence about them can be, it doesn't matter what way you look, is be, exudes beauty, right? There's beauty in so many different so many different things, but I guess you know when I wrote this it was it was really around um, it was really around you know a, a superficial judgment that people make not just of me but of people in general that you know and I have a very beautiful and quite famous girlfriend who's done movies and all these other things and she is stunning she is aesthetically stunning and just a beautiful um, beautiful look at but as a human. She is even more funny when you get to know her. She is even more beautiful. She is kind-hearted and giving and all of those things that just make her shine so much brighter. Um, And I think um, particularly in the age of social media where, you know, everything is very static, it's like an image of someone, you know, and you instantly make a preconceived judgment of that person because, she's beautiful or not beautiful or more beautiful or whatever that, whatever that is, is that people have very little depth um, or an opportunity to share that depth with people through just one beautiful image. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was about saying, you know what, before you throw your judgment, dig a little deeper, ask some other questions, 
you know, what do you actually really know about me? Got it. Mm. It's a cool conversation because no matter where you stand on it, it's, it's like owning who you are. And I'm with someone at the moment who's visiting us in Switzerland and we've had these amazing conversations about how Mm. her whole life with her body, she's wanted another kind of body. Mm. And like from an athlete (laughs) perspective, she's got the best body. Right. And she's like, but interestingly enough, she's like, I didn't own that. I'm muscular. I wanted to be wafy and thin and, Mm. and it doesn't matter that I think how her body is now is perfect. It just is, was her own relationship to that. And, you know, we've, we're having a heat wave in Europe and she's walking across there for the first time in her life at 47. Like she's proud. Yeah. And like, that's not going to lie. Everybody else is looking at her too. Yeah. But she's, she's never owned it before. And it's like, it doesn't even matter what everybody else said. She was good with it. So that confidence, what you just said is so cool. Mm. Um, thank you for being brave enough. Cause you know what I think these days is like, you're not even allowed to say that. It's like, it, it's so nice that, that you just have the freedom to say that. And I want to, maybe this ties into this last one I want to talk about is that don't mistake in my optimism for self-righteousness. She's, you know, Marie said, I'm clear on who I am, what I want and how I impact others. So on that, what allows you to stand strong in who you are and not be swayed by who people want you to be? Um, you know what, Sarah, I think the older I've got, and you know, I'm 40 this year, so I'm not old, but over the years, I think I've just realized that there's so much power in being vulnerable. You know, there's so much power in just being able to say what you really want to say without holding back, just being able to, like you say, own it. But, um, you know, I just think that being able to say that I'm clear on something, just it, it gives people permission to go, you know what, I can be clear on that too. You know, and I think that is, that is the biggest thing is that, you know, I like putting goals and statements and things out there which are bold and big and, you know, I get held accountable for them because, that is the vulnerability. You know, Brene Brown, she's like, get in the arena. Like, if you're not in the arena, you got to get in the arena. If you can't, if you, if you don't stand for something, you stand for nothing. I mean, that's what it, that's what it comes down to. And, you know, really, for me, um, you know, <laughs> I've been called self-righteous before. And I've been called plenty of other things. I remember, God, years ago, when I first moved to Sydney and, I'd had one baby and, um, and I got asked to do this article for a high-profile female magazine at the time and um, it, was, it was around the tale of two cities and I was the girl that had it all. I was the wealthy girl who had it all in this thing and then there was the opposite, which was the girl who had come from, you know, um, destitute and was, you know, struggling and things like that. And I didn't know they were going to write the article like this. So I was really thrown when it came out. I was like, wow, this is so like confronting for me because I own what I do. And it's not that I don't feel any less for the, for people that aren't where they want to be right now or, or for their situation. It's just that I own where I'm at, but you're making it seem like I'm doing the wrong thing. God. And man, I just remember going, reading the comments when it went online 
And, you know, one person who anonymous, I just love that. Like don't even own your own name when you want to throw a comment anonymous. And, and she said, Oh, Marie Doyle has never worked a day in her life. And I went, what? And I was like, man, if only you knew how hard I actually have worked. And it really, it pissed me off so much. Mm-hmm. And I was, and it fired me up at the same time. Cause I was like, you know what? We put, so, we put so much emphasis on, um, you know, people's ideas and comments and judgments and things on us that, you know, it, it really, it really upset me at the time. And I, and for a while I was like, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't be like this. Maybe I shouldn't. You know, and you doubt yourself and it instills it down in you. Um, so, you know, it's interesting because I am clear on what I want and I made that stance and, you know, people are going to shoot you down sometimes, right? It happens and it happens with people that you know that are closest to you. It happens with people that don't know you. Um, but it can happen. And the point is, is that you just really need to be okay with where you are at. Yeah, like to me, if you haven't watched it, Brene Brown on Netflix, you know, she Mm. almost described the same thing about getting into the arena without really meaning to, but that is, you're exposed in a way and then people then feel free to comment. And I, I, that you just reminded me so much of that, of her experience Mm. of she trusted her gut once she spoke on a topic she'd never spoke about before and then people had lots to say about it. And, you know, I would say that the the, people can either have a block the minute someone says something that about you, you may like almost shut yourself down. You're like, Mm. Oh my gosh, I don't want to put myself out there again. I think sometimes what I do is I try to preempt that even happening. Therefore Mm. I don't want the arena. So I'm like, let me just move around the arena. So Mm. You know, thank you for exposing that because boldness and being who you are, um, you know, when are we going to do it? If we can't, if we're in our forties and we're still not doing it, we'll do yeah. you know, so I hope everybody feels a little bit more permission, um, from you. <laughs> and I just want to end with this, um, you know, symbol of your boldness. Um, you set yourself a goal of climbing Everest for your 40th. And I know you've been training for months. So all those people that yeah. say Marie hasn't done a, it can work in her life. Well, she's out there, pounding the pavement. So, <laughs> what does the ascent mean to you? Oh God. Um, yeah. Look, I mean, it, it was really one of those things. I'd come out of this period of my life where I was like, I'm turning forty. I could have a really big party, and it would be amazing because I'm really good at having really good parties and. I love a good party, and I was thinking, yep, we're gonna have a big party, and it'd be amazing. And then I thought, you know what? I can do that anytime. What's something that's just going to be like just out there? And there'd been a couple of things leading up to it. And what it actually ended up being was it's actually, it was actually one of those moments in time where I was able to actually be a catalyst for my friends that are coming with me. So I've got five girlfriends who are coming with me on this trip. And they'd all, at the time, they'd all been through significant things or quite full on things in their lives, like in terms of, significant deaths of loved ones or you know divorces so monumental sort of life moments that they'd all been through so when I kind of created my team of people that I wanted to to go with um, before I even sent out um, or even spoke about it to anyone I was like you know 
what can this mean to other people as well? Because for me, I'm always, I'm always thinking, yes, I would love to do that, but I'm always more excited when you've got people around you that want to be there with you. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was really, it was really about a catalyst event and I haven't really given it that much more thought because we've been so busy doing all our physical training and things and um, you know, our mindset side of it is never, we haven't really gone into what does this mean for us? You know, is it going to be a spiritual transformation? Is it going to be this? What is it going to be? Who knows? We're going to be drinking champagne on top of a mountain at some point, but I'm like, what is it actually going to mean to me when we get to the end of it? I'm not sure. I feel like at the moment um, it's a goal for, for me that is so ridiculously big that I have no expectations on it. And, you know, and I spoke about that before, just saying being detached from the outcome is that it's all about taking those steps to get there. Um, it's a catalyst event because we're, we're, we're making change in each other's lives by being there together. Um, but, you know, that the ascent is super exciting. This descent is going to be even more fun because okay. we're just choppering down. <laughs> are, are you? Yes. Oh, that is so funny because I was actually going to say to you, my only advice that I've heard from a couple people is most people don't think about the descent. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. Um, and and I'm, what I mean by that is by thinking about what it could mean, most people don't actually prepare for the, the coming down, meaning all the prep is for the up. And so mm. in that there's some real beautiful moments. And, and I've just heard that people that don't prepare for the descent actually feel like something of a, of a crash. Low. Yeah. Low, yeah. And, and I mean, whether it's, you know, Nat's winning a gold medal, it was like mm-hmm. on the day that she won, it was an understanding of, yep, got that plan this. And this is what happens next versus mm. what happens for a lot of athletes is total depression coming off that high. Mm. I've heard the same thing for um, Kilimanjaro ascent. Yeah. I've heard, this, I've heard a similar descent. thing. Yeah. And look, I've, re- I've read quite a few um, posts of people that have, have done it recently and are really feeling that, that kind of disconnect to coming back to everyday life because it is, it's such a, um, it, it's such a sensory overload of everything that you've got going on. I mean, the hiking itself, the, um, you know, the dealing with the, the climate, the altitude, the emotion, the connection that you feel to the people, like all the other things that we get to experience on this trip, 100%. Like, I mean, it, it is, it's, it's almost a sensory overload for people. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the descent, which, um, which we are helicoptering down, like I said, initially it's interesting because the um, tour team manager that we're going with on the private tour actually originally said, oh, well, we'll just take you straight off the, when you summit to um, pass base camp, we'll just helicopter you straight down, straight back into Kathmandu. And I'm like, I don't want to be going from the top of this beautiful trip to being back in the hustle and bustle of the city and back in uh, a hotel room. Like, I feel like that is not, what I want to do. So we actually tweaked a little bit where we actually just, we still stay on the mountain. So we helicopter down, but down to um, the base of the mountain where we then spend, um, we then spend some time in the village there to just kind of, you know, kind of let it sink in, try and let it acclimate a little bit of what's just happened. And, um, you know, really have some, have some closure around that um, and go, okay, we're done. Chink with glasses, happy 40th. 
and and then make our way back to reality. Good on you. I mean, I've been to Kathmandu and I've I've done some of it, the Annapurnas, and it's like you don't want to be directly back. No, <laughs> in Kathmandu because it's gone. <laughs> the smells, you know, just the whole thing could overwhelm you. Mm. And I just, you know, hats off to you for continuing to shine a light on what it is to be bold, what it is to say what you want, what it is mm. to raise three girls fully, you know, fully expressed, you know, self-expressed. Um, I really honor our friendship. You give me a lot. You show me a lot of what's possible. Um, so thanks for sharing with our community as well. I think you, you really are a woman who has something to say to entrepreneurs and moms. And so thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Love you guys. It's been awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Don't forget to join the community at bit.ly slash the Nat and Sarah show to download your three-step journal and participate in weekly lives found only in our private group. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You've got to rate and review the show. And I know all the podcasts are always asking this. And in the past, I wasn't doing it. And the reason I wasn't doing it is because I actually didn't know how to do it. So open your podcast player and click on our show from your library, not the listen now. That's where I was going wrong in the past. So now that you know how to do it, when you go there, make sure you give us a five-star review. Five stars, five stars, five stars. And then click on write a review link to actually write a review so that you can tell other people that we're legit and even funny, maybe a bit serious. So if you want to recommend this to someone, you have to put your fingers on the keys and send us a review. Thanks.